What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Doug McKenzie. <clears throat> Doug is a magician and mentalist that was born in Scotland, but raised kind of all over the world. He lives in New York now, and he's consulted for Blaine and Dynamo. He's done a lot of work for magic on television and how to present that in a way that's actually astonishing and not just easily dismissed as TV magic. Doug has a lot of interesting thoughts about performing, and he gives some really interesting tips on how to work a room that are actually like little gold nuggets that you guys will be able to use in your own walk-around gigs. Doug's magic is fast-paced and very fooling. He got me pretty bad a couple of times after we finished recording. And I think that kind of is interesting because he's sort of a daredevil not necessarily for the thrill of it, but he likes to skydive. He says that it's something that brings him to sort of a zen place where he's totally focused on being in the moment, which is fascinating. We talk a lot about it, actually, and how that kind of influences his life. I do want to apologize in advance because we recorded in a pretty loud area. There was a lot of background noise. I did my best in taking out a lot of it, but some things just you can't get away from. There are things hitting the table, there's some buzzing from phones, it's sort of unavoidable, and again, I apologize, but the episode's definitely worth it. Doug is amazing, and I promise you will enjoy the episode. We've got some really cool things coming up on artofmagic.com, so make sure that you are subscribed to the newsletter. In fact, we're releasing tomorrow a special piece from Max Maven. It's a great beginner piece. It's not difficult to do, but it's a really great think piece. It'll help you understand how to present not just mentalism, but magic. So look forward to that. Like I said, subscribe to the newsletter, follow us on all the social media channels, search for Magical Thinking Podcast, search for Art of Magic. You'll find us. If you like the episode, or if you like any of the episodes of Magical Thinking, please share them online and let people know why you like them. Because I want not just magicians, but lay people as well to be able to listen to this and understand why we care so much about magic, how powerful we think it can be, and how much passion we devote to it. Also, and this is just a small thing, if you wouldn't mind going into the podcast app and leaving a review for Magical Thinking, I would really appreciate it. It doesn't do really much. Uh, It just helps the visibility, and it makes me feel nice and warm and fuzzy. Anyway, get into Doug's episode. It's great. I think you guys are really going to get a lot out of it. So, enjoy. I want to increase my brand value. So, like, John gave me all these ideas of how to increase my brand value so that I can charge more for my games and things. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, it's a reason. So, like, him and this other, this, this career moon were so amazing. Like, you could tell, like, how fucking sharp they are in business. Like, they were, like... They could like hammer down and single out problems like this. It was amazing. Like just to sit in that, like you know, eight, six of us, six, seven of us in this room, and just like listen to these guys. Amazing. Super smart guy. That's incredible. Yeah. So he's probably meeting up with that girl Amanda because she wants to um, start giving talks and things about about werewolves. And she's like a very disheveled kind of woman. She's got. T- her fingers in too many pots and doesn't have focus. You know? Sure. Very smart, very smart, but like not really a, you know, needs needs a business person to help her like you know, hone person. in on it. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Wow. That's amazing. Just to have that kind of like those friendships at your disposal. Mm. That's amazing. That's the thing. I, I try and like surround myself with people that like elevate me somehow, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's important. And I, I've only been learning that, you know, pretty recently, but like, 
you know, people that can contribute in some way, add value to me that, like, you know, I think it's important to learn from your peers and, like, if you surround yourself with people that you want to be like, you know, like, they found, for example, if you're obese, obese is actually contagious. Obesity is contagious. And like, it, it, I forget the exact statistics, but they basically found that if you have a friend who's obese, your chances of being obese increase by, like, 50%. But it's not just in like one um, degree of separation. It goes out to three degrees of separation. So even if you want to like, so you know, the idea if you want to be healthy, like surround yourself with healthier people so that like if you are going out to lunch, like if you're sitting with like obese people, they probably eat more and it kind of gives you the license. To, oh, it's okay for me to eat more and whatnot, you know? Mm -hmm. So like all these things, these things that people think are contagious really are. They have social impacts that go out to like, you know, multiple degrees of separation. Yeah. Anyway, so the point being, I, you know, I try to focus on surrounding myself with people that can uh, make me grow as a person, yeah. either professionally or, or personally or whatever. It's great that you're, like, continuing to grow. You know? Yeah. You're never done, right? Yeah, but that's, I think, part of being a magician. It's like you, you want to be able to take your life experiences and bring them into your magic, you know, I think. Because... Uh, Bill Hicks said, less jokes, more me, right? You have to live a yeah. life worth commenting on, yeah. basically. That's that's interesting. I like that. Um, I think jokes are necessary. You know, I think oh, your yeah, life should be, should be fun and, and whatnot, but there's, there's a time and a place for that, sure. which is what Juan says. And that's the thing I see a lot of magicians doing, uh, making mistakes with, is they like, you know, I believe in Juan's dramatic structure very heavily. And uh, so many magicians like, I'll give you an example. Jerry McCambridge, I saw his show in Vegas recently. Closer of the show, he's like doing a lottery prediction. Throws out these like balls into the audience. And he's like revealing the numbers. And while he's revealing numbers, he's making like hairy ball jokes. So he's like picking hair off the balls and stuff. I was like, dude, like I get it. I mean, you've done 3,000 shows. I'm sure like, you know, you're in Vegas for a reason, but come on. Like that's just kind of lowbrow and like you're stepping on your, your thing. You can make it better. Anyway, yeah. like I said, there's a time and a place for that stuff. Sure. I think jokes are fun I, I think you need to enjoy yourself and laugh and, oh yeah I totally yeah, agree yeah. I think when he because you know he was that was like after he got clean and was like it's about being authentic not necessarily like of course he's still a stand-up comedian and doing jokes and right. humor is important for living a fulfilling life right yeah. uh, and he was just saying that like you know you're you're an artist or you're aspiring to be an artist and you know art is self-expression so, yeah. I don't know, I'm a little out of my depth, but I, it's just like the idea that whatever you're trying to share, it should be beneficial to you is like, you know, helps you grow by being vulnerable or authentic or expressing mm -hmm. something that you think is interesting. But it also, I think, should impact the people that you're sharing it with in a positive way as well. Right. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I think you should also, I think you, what you're trying to share also has to reflect not just that one element of your life, it should reflect all of your life. Right? Otherwise, What's the point? Yeah, you know, like I'm a huge Juan fan, and I believe in Juan's seven mysteries, magic, right? And one of them is like that you are a complete person with interest outside of magic, and people, for some reason unknown to them, as to why they can feel this. But even if you don't talk about it, they can feel that you have influences and interests outside of magic brought into your magic. Right? Yeah, and if you never even mention our concert art or food or whatever else, you know, uh, that you have, like, evolved as a person, 
in a hallway and you're not just a magic dark. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's so important and that's like that's my favorite thing to tell people. But also the most disheartening thing to see is like It's just funny, it's like you know one of my things I want to try and do this year, my goals is to really build my social media profiles. Yeah. Just a little bit more significant. Because I have this I have a personal problem. I don't like sharing magic online for a few reasons. I don't like I don't like magicians outside of my little circle knowing what I do, right? And I also don't like my clients able to like kind of see exactly what the punchlines are of things because then they like have expectations mm-hmm. and then they also aren't as impressed when I see them because they've seen it already, right? Yeah. But also, mostly, I, I just don't like other people knowing exactly what I do, right? I think it's, I, you know, I put a lot of my ideas on TV shows and people feel somehow that when an idea is on TV, it's a free-for-all and they can do it too. So I have to like learn to separate myself from that stuff and like know that it's going to get ripped off and it does. And like some things I'm a little bit more protective over. I don't know. So anyway, I'm trying to build my Instagram profile and uh, and my Facebook and I've tried to kind of separate them all. So my Instagram is all like travel and kind of photography style stuff and my Twitter is more commentary or thing interesting links that I find you know and I mm-hmm. try to keep them separate you know and I'm experimenting with what what works and what doesn't work you know and I don't know if that's a good thing yet or a bad thing because I think most people have like one unified social media presence I kind of at the moment have three separate I think you're doing it right I think I don't know I think that's yeah. a, a the perfect way to do it actually but you know I look at my growth rates and I see you know like I posted one magic thing in January, yeah. in, my Insta- in my Instagram, and I look at it, and it gets more response than anything I, I get usually, right? Like it's my number one post so far this year. But I look at it, and it looks really ugly. Like I look at my in your feed. Yeah, it's so ugly. Right? <laughs> like I have all these cool shots. I have a certain aesthetic, yep. and then there's this. It's like a fucking sore thumb. <laughs> but it gets a lot of response. And I'm like, God, shit, that sucks. Yeah, and it also like. It's very time-consuming like, to come up with Instagram magic is a full-time fucking job. Yeah, it is. You know, like if I want to put out things that like they're not things I'm going to do at gigs, but they're just kind of ideas that are shot for camera or whatever. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> takes so long. Yeah, but you know that's the stuff that like builds following. People want to see that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm just I'm kind of having fun doing it. But yeah, that's but, good. Yeah. That's all it is. There, nobody has the answer. No. It's all unique to you. But I feel like if it's not, like if if you look at that and you see the growth of it, you see like the engagement of it, but you hate it, how do you, what's the middle ground? How do you find? I don't know. I mean, at least you can kind of edit. You know, so I had, you know, Snapchat I think is interesting. Right? Yeah. Because Snapchat is so temporary. Yeah. So you can put something up that like maybe isn't perfect, right? But it's interesting. Yeah. And then it's gone. Whereas like Instagram, like you know, I have clients go on my Instagram and they're like, and they kind of get a sense of who I am. And so like Instagram, you kind of paint a picture of yourself. Exactly. Right. Whereas, yeah. So I, you know, I think all these mediums are really interesting. I just, I just have to, for me, find that what the best way to use them is. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and I see other people doing really, you know, an amazing job of that. And the truth is, like, I don't book my jobs based on. Um, 
you know, social media usually. That's I think very rarely I've booked jobs based on that. Usually my jobs all come from like online uh, people seeing me, sorry, in person, like word of mouth or like recommendations. So it's very, I don't know. So what's the goal of? Are you trying to get more jobs through social no, media? No, I, I, I really like, don't know. I just want to kind of build build my online presence a little bit. Do you kind of just want to play the game a little bit? I don't. I really don't know. Because that's that's like the most fascinating thing to me about social media is just the game that you're playing. Because that's all it is. Is like, what do I do to make the number get bigger? Right. You know. And it's funny because I see so many people with fake followers. Yeah. Right. And it's so easy to tell because you can see how much engagement they have yep. versus. How many followers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so many names in Magic even they have like 30,000, big names in Magic, 30,000 followers, right? Which is, you know, in, in my opinion, a significant number. Mm-hmm. And then how many likes have in their post? 200. How many yeah. comments? Five. It's like, who are you fooling? Yeah. You're supposed to be a magician. You're not fooling anybody. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so like, I don't know, I'm trying to grow it organically yeah. and try and find out who is my market in, on these uh, you know, Instagram specifically, who's my market? Am I going for photographers? Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to make my images pretty. Am I trying? Am I going for magicians? I don't really have much magic content. Am I going for people who like to travel? Am I going for GoPro enthusiasts? Am I yeah. going for skydivers? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it all out. It's not, it's not necessarily easy. Yeah, but, um, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Goal for 2017. Maybe it's not. Uh, it maybe it's not like. The, pe- the person that you're searching for isn't defined by a thing, it's defined by an idea or like right. a, an atmosphere. So like they may not be skydivers, but they're into like the idea of right, or, going right. out and living That's your life. That's interesting. You know? Maybe. Anyway, you know, I, I just wanted to represent the fun parts of me because there's, there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> stuff I do on a daily basis is not as fun as, you know, social media posts. Yeah. You know. Emails and contracts and all, this, <laughs> <laughs> all the, the business side of work, as opposed to you know the travel side. You know, yeah. getting there. The getting there is not always fun either. Sure. Know, but uh, how did you get into skydiving? Um, two thousand one, Friday the thirteenth in nice. two thousand one. Perfect day to skydive. Yeah, perfect day. <laughs> I think I didn't even realize it was Friday the thirteenth until I got there, and then I was like, and I'm you know slightly superstitious. Really? Why? Um, why not? Okay, that's a uh, fair answer. <laughs> I think there's something interesting about superstitions, anyway. Uh-huh. Right? Um, if I can avoid something, yeah. Like if I can avoid walking under the ladder, yeah. Like if I if I have to walk under the ladder, I walk under a ladder, right? Yeah, I'm sure. not. You're not I'm a not, crazy person. No. Yeah. But if I can avoid, I'll give you an example. So I just have to get my reserve parachute repacked. Uh-huh. So every 180 days, you have to get your reserve repacked. Uh, do you do that or does no, it has like to be a done by a certified okay. rigger and they have to seal it and have to sign your card and it has to be like it's all certified. Okay. And Probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. And it's um, because that you know has to open. I pack my main parachute, but the reserve has to be packed in a certain way that takes, you know, a good forty five minutes to an hour to pack it mm-hmm. and it's kinda of guaranteed to open faster than a main and symmetrically and it's uh, it's a lot a it's lot a more labor intensive, yeah. right? It's kinda of mm-hmm. like how you pack a base parachute because you only have one chance at that and you only have however many feet for it to open so you know it has to open very consistently yeah anyway so i had the chance i had to repack my parachute this month and i was like i had you know kind of two options one of the days was friday the 13th of january and i was like uh i don't think so i could i'll just do it saturday so i did it on saturday the 14th and only because i had the option of you know deciding so i'm not necessarily a crazy person but if i have the option of like which one to do yeah I'll stick to 
Friday, the, uh, Saturday the 14th. Where did that come from, the superstition? I don't know. Like from childhood? No, I, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I think at this point it sounds like I'm very superstitious. I'm really not. But I just, if something's avoidable, I'll avoid it. I know, I'm just I'm curious about like it. Inner conversations. Can I avoid it? Sure. What, what if superstitions are real? Okay. <laughs> There's no physical proof that they're real or not real, so whatever. Is but that, you know, in, it's funny, in Italy actually, I think Friday the 13th is actually a lucky day. Yeah, so it's completely opposite. So it's completely cultural. Um, if you I were mean, in Italy, would you go on Friday the Thirteenth? Well, maybe if I was Italian. I mean, my first, like I said, my first guy I was Friday the Thirteenth, and I, I'd probably still jump on Friday the Thirteenth. So how'd you get into it? Um, so I went skydiving. That was the original question. Friday the Thirteenth. I first thing I did when I landed was I said I'm going to get my license. It was just such a thrilling experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then, kind of eight years later, Jesus, the next time. <laughs> Often. Uh, about eight years later was the next time I went skydiving. Mm -hmm. um, why? Why so long? I don't know. Just got caught up with life. Okay. Um, it wasn't a priority of mine, but you okay, know. Sure. So I went eight years later. Tried to get my license, and to get your license, um, you have to do X many jumps, and those jumps have to be done during certain conditions. Like the wind has to be very low, and. Um, has to be no clouds and all sorts of things. And, you know, the closest skydiving for me is about just under a two-hour drive. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a time-intensive thing to get your license. You have to get, you know, 25 jumps and do a bunch of different things, uh, including packing parachutes and jumping your pack job and getting briefings from pilots about weight and balance in a plane and all sorts of... and learning how to skydive. Because it's not just jumping on a plane, you have to actually learn how to fly your body, right? So you have to learn how to fall stable and not have control so you're not crashing into people and when it's time to open your parachute to have exit separation so you separate from other people mm -hmm. so fly away from other people so when you open your parachute you don't crash into them and learning about winds and how to even fly a parachute landing it and landing patterns and all sorts of things so it's, you know it's it's not as a it's a very studied thing it's not as Everyone just jumps in a plane and jumps out <laughs> willy-nilly you know uh, even the order that people jump out depending on what they're doing is very studied. Yeah. There's debates about it depending on how fast people fall in different body positions, how high you're opening. So it's a pretty complex thing. Um, so, you know, getting your license takes a little bit of time. Um, but yeah, seven years later, I didn't, I didn't even manage to get my license because the season kind of ended and it got too cold. So then, again, it got put on hiatus. And then finally, like 2013, I started my license again beginning of the summer and nailed it. And then, uh, yeah, been skydiving ever since. That's really cool. And I, I have goals to include magic with my skydiving. Yeah. I have lots of ideas for that. It's just a matter of um, getting it done. <laughs> what can I ask? I mean, are you comfortable sharing? I, oh, I mean, yeah, I have so many ideas. I, I have to test them first. Like, what, is it, what does it mean, though, to incorporate magic in the skydiving? Oh, I mean, it'll be, I think it would be fun just to film, you know, like, sim here's a simple one. Like, cut and restored string, right? <laughs> You know, I think the implications of the parachute are pretty strong. Yeah. I think it's an interesting and intriguing thing. So maybe something like that. You know, we carry a hook knife. It's a knife so that if you have to literally cut the one of your parachutes away physically without, you know, you know, have a cutaway which actually like uh, separates the heart parachute from your harness. But if you actually have to physically cut one away, then you have a, a knife. Um, so I don't know. I think there's something intriguing with it. But I have other ideas too. You know, people dropping playing cards out of a plane and naming one and I'd literally dive after them and 
pluck the right one out of the air or something, you know, lots yeah. of ideas. Um, but I think that'd be interesting to film. And no one else is doing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny that, you know, we just had a wind tunnel open in, in New York. And a wind tunnel is like a place that you can practice your, your flying skills. So it's literally a big tunnel of air that you go into and learn how to skydive. And, you know, kind of skydiving progression has grown so fast with these tunnels because you can really learn how to do things in a tunnel that you can't learn in the sky. You know, in a tunnel, you're kind of forced to fall in one column of air and you can't slide forwards or backwards because you hit the wall. Whereas in the sky, it's like if you slide forwards or backwards, you'll never know unless you have like a point of reference like a cloud or another person. Mm -hmm. So people have learned to really skydive really well and do these amazing uh, body positions, head upside down and sit flying uh, in the tunnel. And so I've been training in a tunnel and it's you know not a cheap endeavor. It's about a thousand or eleven hundred bucks an hour in wow. a tunnel. Uh, but the results are, are amazing because you don't have to worry about am I going to hit the ground anytime soon. Right? It's, it's just a matter of learning. You might hit the wall, and it's it's counterintuitive because you know in a wind tunnel, your sky, you know, you're maybe like in a seated position, sit fly we call it. And if you're flying forward, so you're going towards the wall, and you want to stop yourself from hitting the wall, your natural inclination is to lean back. But if you lean back, you get more wind hits your back, which pushes you forward. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, it's very obvious to like lean forward. So you're flying towards the wall and you're like, I don't want to hit it. So you like put your face into the wall and it will stop you from hitting, you know, so it's a very counterintuitive uh, process. But um, anyway, so there's all these world records for number of magic tricks done in a wind tunnel. <laughs> uh, there was one recently, I think it was like number of magic tricks done in a wind tunnel in three minutes. And, you know, the guy did it for charity, yeah, which I think is very honorable. But I watched the video, and I think he's got two people holding him, and he's doing magic that's not even discernible, right? Like, you can't even separate what the tricks are. Yeah. They're, they're not, not very good magic. <laughs> anyway, that you know, I see that, and it kind of annoys me. I'm happy he did it for charity, but it's, it's an official Guinness World Record, and it annoys me that it's done so poorly and there's two people holding him like anybody could do that. You know, it takes no skill for two people to hold you in a wind tunnel uh, while you do it, you know, nine pieces of magic. Anyway, so I might I might challenge that one just, just to do it properly. I don't even care to hold the record. I just want it to exist. Well. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So some of it's been done before. I just want to do it well. What constitutes uh, a, a, an effect or a trick? You tell me. Watch the video, and you'll you know it's it's. Well, that's amazing. So, like, if you if you did three I mean, fly, for instance, is that like four? Tricks? No, I mean, the, I mean, so I mean, there's limitations what you can do in a tunnel because they won't even let you wear like a wedding ring in a tunnel. So, like, it's very, you know, they're very careful about what goes into the tunnel, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, you know, I think you know, vanishing a handkerchief counts as one trick, and then producing it in counts as a second trick. Okay, I, yeah. I don't know. So, I think you know, you, there, there are limitations to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an area I want to explore a lot. Uh, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. That's as good a reason as any, you know? Like I said, no one else is doing it. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a big reason. I like doing things that other people aren't doing. Yeah. What speaks to you about skydiving? What I like aviation, it? so yeah. I'm going to get my pilot's license this year. Cool. Um, I don't know. I think there's there's a few things. I think the first thing is skydiving is actually not. A, I don't do it for the thrill. I mean, sometimes there's a thrill if I'm doing something new, mm -hmm. 
like jumping in a very large group of people or jumping somewhere new that I'm not familiar with the territory of where I'm going to land you know there's like interesting things there but for me it's actually a very calming thing because it's the moment where you're most focused right mm-hmm. so like when you're skydiving you're very focused you can't think of anything else apart from like right now and I like that feeling I think that's that's interesting to me is that like right it's kind of meditative and then it's also beautiful like especially like a sunset skydive you leave the plane you look up you see the plane flying away you're like and if you've ever been on a motorcycle but skydiving is that feeling of being on a motorcycle with the wind in your face times a hundred right it's a very liberating feeling mm-hmm. um, and then if you're jumping with friends you're all look at each other and smiling you know yeah you're doing something crazy and fun together it's a very it's a very intimate bonding experience with people yeah um, and you know typically you do jump with friends jumping alone isn't very fun yeah um, you know you just by yourself falling <laughs> no but you have other people you can you gotta take people with you <laughs> yeah and you know you can do fun things you know there's all sorts of fun jumps you can do you can do like a Mr. Potato Head jumps this one brings a Mr. Potato Head and everyone gets like a piece and you have to like try and stick your piece on the potato head and it's kind of you know like there's, there's fun <laughs> fun games. things yeah. yeah usually you do those things for like people's celebratory jumps like their 100th jump or their 200th jump or their 1000th jump um, but there's always something happening always something fun do you ever teach skydiving? no that's like a whole certification and yeah. you know I, I don't I'm not in it to there's plenty of people that need to make money doing that that's yeah. their like thing and that's how they make money I'm not going to take someone else's okay sure you know yeah I just I do it for fun for me yeah, yeah. I just wondered. My dad's a scuba diver. Oh yeah, and he's uh, it's his it's his favorite thing to do, um, and but he he doesn't ever want to teach it. Yeah, I think it might might take the fun out of it. Just like you know, I don't want to teach magic. Yeah, it's funny. Like I get asked to do lectures and different things all the time, and like you know, and Ossie Wynn's a great friend of mine. He's you know he teaches a lot of his material, and I he's a genius. I really love the guy and his stuff. And he says that, like, you know, especially he's writing a book right now, but, you know, teaching stuff helps you understand your art better. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. But my problem with it is I don't want my clients, like, Googling afterwards, like, how did I do that stuff? Yeah. And then finding, like, a lecture where mm-hmm. I explain it. I think that's, you know, I want to be, I don't want to take the, the mystery away from it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, in magic, it's, it's a little bit different. Scuba diving, I don't know. I, I've scuba dived to have a open water license it's amazing I love scuba diving uh, I have a, I had a 20 year hiatus of well, maybe not 20 18 years of not scuba diving and I went scuba diving again uh, last year in Thailand yeah it was amazing it's like it's like you're an alien in a, in a whole new world you get to explore <laughs> and see all this cool stuff so sharks and turtles and squid and lobster and, oh it's amazing yeah is that again one of those meditative things, or is it more of like um, an exploration kind of? I don't know because I think, you know, I don't have enough scuba dives to really be super comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not uncomfortable, but I'm very conscious of what I'm doing and trying to regulate my breathing so I'm not my buoyancy stays okay and I'm not burning through my air so yeah. that like, you know, there's, there's a social pressure there. If you're diving with other people, <laughs> you don't want to burn through your air first, and then you're the asshole that makes everyone get up. Yeah, the top, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's not something I'm necessarily that comfortable. That it's become a second nature, mm-hmm. but it is something that I would love to do more. 
Um, and I like the technical side of it too. You know, it's I think it's it's an interesting sport. Yeah. yeah. So how do, how do these other disparate interests and enjoyments? How do they influence your magic? I mean, I know you want to do magic while skydiving, but like, how does um, how does that experience change? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I travel a lot. And, uh, I think that's. I think uh, so. I, I you know I was lucky. I kind of grew up as a child all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Scotland, moved to the Middle East, uh, grew up in Oman and Saudi Arabia and Germany, then moved to the States for school when I was fifteen for boarding school. And I think those opportunities gave me a lot of chance to like meet a lot of different people from different backgrounds and learn different languages. Um, and magic's about connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think things like travel are, are a much more direct influence on my magic than skydiving sure. or other interests. I don't necessarily ha- you know tell stories when I do magic about me or like experiences that happen to me, unless you're kind of like sideline commentary based mm-hmm. on a comment somebody's made or something. Sure. So I don't know if they necessarily like have a, a direct impact, but um, I don't know. Like I said, it's one of Juan's mysteries. It's uh, People feel it somehow. Yeah. They feel that you have interests outside of your performance. You're a worldly, yeah. fully formed, three-dimensional character. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think travel's really important. I think travel's important for everybody. It's yeah. amazing to me how many people don't have passports or like haven't been traveling. I think that's necessary. It's a, you have to. Yeah. It's such a beautiful world. Why not explore it? Learn something. Yeah. You can connect so much better with everyone. Because you, like you, you, travel helps you develop empathy. Right. And, and you can, even if you don't understand somebody else's problems, you can more easily put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, um, yeah, and that not just like you know the, the being a, a fully formed person, you know people feel that people feel empathy, you know they they know when you are genuine. Um, you said a key word there, which is genuine. So it's really important, I think, in in magic for your performance to feel genuine, right? So I'm I hate scripted pattern. I don't mind like a structured script mm-hmm. that you can kind of navigate down, but like I see so many magicians making the mistake of the performance not feeling genuine for their audience. Like the jokes feel like they've said them before. Like they're not opportune jokes or jokes that like like I, I kinda don't like those kind of jokes, right? In in magic because it makes people feel like, oh he said that before. Yeah. As soon as they say that, they're now taken out of that experience, mm-hmm. and now they have a thought that this is not a genuine, real experience that's happening between you and that person. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think for your magic to be effective, like you have to give people something that feels like a personal story to them that they can then tell their friends. And, uh, they have to feel like that magic was real, and it's not. I don't know. Like I think if you go to like a really good theater show and you watch it. Like, if you're ever brought out of that moment, now it could be something silly, like you're uncomfortable in your chair. Like, I don't think that really counts. But, like, you know, you should be immersed so much that you'd never really have a commentary on what's happening about, oh, they're really good actors. Or, yeah. you know, like, um, or if I go to a movie, if I ever, like, check the time during a movie, I know it's not a good movie. Like, it's one of my things in my head. I'm like, oh, I, I looked at the time. I, I wasn't really 
sucked into it. I think it's the same with magic. You have to like give people that experience that feels genuine. And yeah. I think to make them feel that way, you have to have genuine interactions with them. Yeah. And you have to be present for them to be present. Right. Completely. And if you're yeah. not, like if you if you're giving stock lines and stock responses and you know, I I like to jazz a lot with my magic. And that gives me the feeling of being present for the audience because I have to be, right? Mm -hmm. Based on what they're saying or what they're doing or and I think part of it is even just like, you know, turning their comments into like you can have your standard things that you do, but you can turn their comments into or parlay them into your next thing. Yeah. Right? It's just a matter of like I don't know, salesmanship a little bit? Yeah. yeah. You can do the same effects, but it's never the same. Right. 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 Yeah. Or, you know, uh, Pitt Hartling said something which was interesting in his uh, card fictions book. He was talking about listening to his audience because sometimes he gets the best lines and jokes from his audience. And I think that's really true. Like, I, I hear little jokes and little things that my audience members say all the time because I'm present and listening. And then I'll even say to them, I'm going to steal that, you know? Yeah. Like, I make a joke out of it and then maybe. I don't necessarily steal it, but like, you know, who knows, five shows down the line, the opportunity comes for like that joke is appropriate and I'll say it, Yeah, you know, but it's not something I'll say all the time. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think being present. Because again, genuine, it's got to be real. Yeah. And I think that's the huge mistake that, maybe it's not a mistake, look, it's just the approach I have to magic. Who am I yeah. to comment that it's a mistake? Um, it would be a mistake for you. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, I've just made a decision. I want my interactions to be real, yeah. um, and I just started doing a kind of more scripted stuff as an experiment. Mm -hmm. and Are you doing it and trying to remain present? So, like, well, you know, to be honest, it's not really in close-up situations. It's more on, on stage. You know, so I did like a show for DJI drone company, and it was very much. I a, have one of their things in my backpack. Oh, we have a Mavic. I have a an oh, an Osmo. Osmo. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, DJI is great. Um, so, you know, I did a show for them, and, you know, those kind of shows are very much, you have to talk about the product and do magic at the same time. So, you know, it's a lot more scripted than I like to be. <laughs> and it's nice because you, when you are scripted, in, in some sense, you have a sense of comfort that you know exactly what's happening, what's coming next. And but at the same time, I, you know, I have to leave moments where I can genuinely interact with people and make comments. And if a phone rings or if something happens in a show it doesn't throw you off because you're present and you can use that to your advantage somehow I mean yeah. I'm always looking when I perform I'm always looking for what can I use to my advantage right even you know if a phone rings perfect answer the phone ask the person who wants to think of a card right it's like kind of rolling with the punches and making things real mm -hmm. I mean that's an unexpected moment yeah no one was expecting the phone to ring and now you're involving that in your show somehow right? yeah it feels spontaneous um, and that's important how do you structure that spontaneity so like, you know, if I, there is structure in magic. So I think the more shows you do and the more you work, the more you get to experiment with that stuff. Yeah. And you start to see how how it all fits together. And so, you know, I've had a phone ring before or I've had, I've done a trick before where, I say trick, I hate that word. I've done a piece <laughs> of magic uh, before where, you know, it relies on me having cell phone service and I don't have service and I say, how do I dig myself out of it? And now I'm starting to improvise. But during that improvising, I come up with something really cool, right? So like, I don't know, I think the more you work and the more you try things. Yeah. You know, I, I have gigs where I can literally just do one, I have one focal point, I'll say. Uh, you know, for example, I have an effect where a, a deck vanishes, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, today, all I'm gonna focus on is 
fun places where that deck could reappear. I'm not going to do it in my pocket. It's going to be different places every time. And that's my whole focus. And I'll just force myself every time I do the trick, trick, magic, uh, to <laughs> figure out a fun place for that deck to reappear. Yeah. Um, and it makes you slightly uncomfortable, but it pushes your boundaries. Yes. And all of a sudden I'm doing things where, you know, things I've never done before because I'm forcing myself to. And you build up that momentum. Yeah. You know. And I also, you know, I also put myself in uncomfortable positions sometimes on purpose. For example, um, you know, I wanted to learn uh, nail writing, for example, really well. So rather than like have a deck of cards in my pocket every day, I would only carry a nail writer. Yeah. And it's still the only thing I have in my pocket right now, actually, having a nail writer. Because it meant if I had to do magic for somebody, that's the only thing I could do. And I know, like, with a deck of cards, I can, like, you know, from my perspective, slay somebody. Who knows? Maybe yeah. I'm not slaying them. From my <laughs> perspective, slay them, right? Yeah. Or if I do some other material, I can, you know, I'm very comfortable. I, I know I can get what I'm looking for. But if I make myself uncomfortable and force myself to learn a new thing, and that's my only option, then I'm forcing myself to get good at them, you know? And mm -hmm. I get to experiment with different ways of using it and trying different things. Yeah. I think it's good to put yourself in uncomfortable positions sometimes. Yeah. That way you also become comfortable with being uncomfortable because there's always going to be a moment where you're uncomfortable for whatever reason. Yeah. And then it doesn't phase you anymore. You yeah. Know? You don't feel like you've lost control. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind being uncomfortable. Yeah. To a degree. <laughs> not on airplanes, but <laughs> no, no middle seats. But uh, no, I don't. I don't mind it. I think it's it helps you grow. I think it's important actually to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to expand that philosophy into other parts of my life. Um, but yeah, how so? I don't know. It could be anything with with dealing with people, like negotiations, or you know, asking for things you don't want to ask for, or forcing yourself. To introduce yourself to somebody, or you know, I did a, I did an event last week, and the CEO of Goldman Sachs was there. So like, you know, you know, he's in mid conversation. How do I get in there and, and perform for that group, in an organic and fun way, and also get get a photo with him? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, you well, know, how'd you do it? Uh, you know, I have my ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean like what you know. Well, I just so, so, you know, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. So mm -hmm. like, one of the things I do at gigs a lot. This is this is gold for me actually I wish I had known this years ago um, I like to work my way up an event meaning if I get too close to an event I'm mingling I'll do magic for somebody and I'll ask them at the end if I've like you know I feel like who's been the most responsive and I'll say to them oh, who, who here do you want me to mess with who, like introduce me to one of your friends and I'll kind of you know instead of having to like reintroduce myself to a new group each time and kind of earn their yeah. respect I get you know one of their peers to introduce me a whole new group and now that group is now excited I don't have to build credibility and now you get kind of handed off from one group to the next mm -hmm. in a kind of organic way yeah um, and man I wish I knew that 15 years ago because that took a long time to figure out um, that's a big secret that's amazing uh, yeah but you, you end up being introduced to everybody mm -hmm. and now now you're not like a wait staff that's so like you know offering you're not finger interrupting food. anymore you're also yeah. like sharing mm -hmm. the burden of yeah, like, you know, you wait know. staff come over and introduce themselves and offer, like, a service. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be brought over by the host or by a friend or by somebody yeah. and introduced in an amazing way because I just blew them away. And now 
You're being shared. Yeah, I'm being shared, and I'm on the same level as them. I'm not offering a free magic trick. Yeah, yeah. Here, check out this little card trick. I, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's all about positioning, right? How do you position yourself? How do you, how do you, how do people perceive you, right? How do you walk over? You know, I don't like, you know, I don't like cold starts with people. I like to be introduced at an event. If, if an event, people at an event can anticipate me, mm -hmm. they know that there's a magician there, and like. Or if I create like a big buzz somehow, and then everyone is now hears about me, and now they're excited to see me, that's great. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to be kind of lost in the mix. I yeah. want people to talk about it. They want to you like they're aware of you. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's interesting. I I'd never thought about that in a walk around and situation. I also have other rules. These this is like I'm giving away gold here because this is stuff that took me so long to figure <laughs> this out. This is a free podcast. Free. I know. But, um, <laughs> simple things like I don't like ever, and it's very situational, but I don't like ever bending down and showing people magic. Like like I said, I'm not wait staff. Someone's yeah. sitting at a table. I'm not going to stand at the table and bend down and offer them a card. I'm rather going to find a space at the table and sit with them and be on the same level as them. Yeah. Right? I don't... I think it's important... You know, power dynamics within a social setting are very important with magic, right? I don't want to be catering to people. That's not my job as a magician. I'm there to entertain. And so, like, I want to be on the same level and create that dynamic social interaction that that deserves, right? Yeah. If you're catering to somebody, now you're, like, bending over or, like, I don't know, like, you feel like you're serving somebody. Mm -hmm. That's not... You can't get what you need out of that for magic. Yeah. So, I don't know. I have, I have all sorts of rules like that that I just... For myself. Also, it's a terrible look. I don't want. I don't want to even people to perceive me in that way, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You have to be. It's like you have to be on the same page as your audience, right. basically. Right. I mean, it's the same thing as being on stage and getting all the people in the audience into an audience, right? By addressing the expectations and coming out and you know saying you know, like getting getting on the same page. Yeah, you know, being self-aware, and so your self-awareness. What I'm understanding is like, I'm I'm the same as you. Yeah. Also, I'm paid to be here. You're just here. Like, I, I, I keep moving this table. I, you know, I don't care who you are, what your job is. Yeah. I want to be in the same. We're in the same plane here. I don't mm -hmm. care how much money you have. You're a celebrity. We're all on the same page here. You're gonna share an experience with me, right? Yeah. You know, it also came from the fact that like I had, you know. Do I, you know? I do a lot of events. I see photos of me working. I remember seeing photos of me, or even other magicians, just doing magic, and they're like kind of bent over, hunched over, hunched. doing. And I think, wow, that's so ugly. <laughs> it's such a bad picture. I, and it's not even just for the photo. I just don't want to be seen in that light. Yeah. Right. I think you have to present yourself always in a positive way, mm -hmm. and that way people will see you in that way, and they'll perceive you in that way, and then your magic also becomes elevated. It's not like. I'm not offering something free. Yeah. I'm sharing something amazing with you, right? I'm yeah. not offering you a fucking cookie. Right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know. I think it's, it's, these are all small details that, you know, it takes a long time to figure out, but I think it's really important. The small details are, yeah, essential. Yeah. What do you wear at a gig, just out of curiosity? Um, it depends. Depends on the gig, depends on performing for what other people are wearing. Yeah. Um, you are know, you, are you are like, Slightly better dressed than everybody, or I mean, um, what's your? It depends. Depends yeah. where the gig is too. Yeah. Um, I try and always look very polished. Mm -hmm. 
So I get my nails manicured. I get them buffed. I get my shoes shined. Mm-hmm. I wear an expensive watch. I um, I don't know. I try and get a look the part, right? Yeah. Um, I try and you know I wear I like to wear a jacket because I have all the extra pocket space. Um, but sometimes you know suit. Sometimes suit no tie. Um, I don't know. I just depends on the game. Sure. I just wondered if you had like a a rule. Like for um, per situation, like I'm gonna be slightly better dressed than everybody. No, I think you should always be slightly better dressed than everybody else. I think you need to stand out. I used to, for many years, roll up my sleeves so I looked very different from other guests at the party. Yeah. Um, but I don't like how that looks. Mm-hmm. It's in, you know, it's only something I start. I stopped doing maybe in, in the past year. I don't necessarily like the aesthetic of it. Um, I don't know. I. I I have a little bit of trouble because I feel like the magic is stronger a little bit with the sleeves rolled up because then it kind of, of course, negates the solution of using sleeves. Yeah. You know, like when a deck disappears, for example, or whatever, you know, now I have people grab my sleeves and I'm happy with them grabbing my sleeves or grabbing my arms in the moment. I like that reaction, actually, because, it, you know, when people react by grabbing your arms, I think it's... They've now chosen to invade your personal space, not by choice, but by reaction. So it shows that you've done a good job. Right? Yeah. They're so astounded that they've kind of broken down a social behavior because they couldn't help themselves, right? Yeah. Through um, this involuntary reaction. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I don't mind that. Um, so I don't know. I, I I also bought some, like, you know, nice nice jackets that I don't want to necessarily roll up the sleeves because it would... Ruin the fabric. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just depends. Yeah, I don't mind cutting pockets open and stuff like that to give myself utility out of the jacket. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's important to maintain a certain aesthetic. Yeah, people should see. I think you should wear expensive clothes that look good or tailor fit to you. I think that's important. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, I know. You know, there's so many ways now to get custom clothing. Uh, there's even online websites you get measured for, and then they send you a suit in the mail and stuff. You know, there's all sorts of like. There's no excuse not to. Right. Yeah. Um, Have you ever worn a playing card tie? You know, it's funny you say that. My wife buys me a lot of ties. And, I, you know, I try, to be honest, I try not to wear ties if I don't have to. I don't like wearing ties. Um, so I try not to wear ties if I don't have to. I'd rather be a little bit more slick than a tie. Mm-hmm. Right? But my wife did buy me an awesome playing card tie. Ted Baker or something. I don't know. So I do wear that occasionally. I do like that tie. Um, But it's not a typical playing card tie. (laughs) It's like a very small, classy, little, tiny little pips. You have Uh, to really look at it to know it's a playing card tie. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I do have a playing card tie. (laughs) That's embarrassing. But I think if you saw it, you'd understand. Yeah. yeah. It's it's as tasteful as a plain card tie can be. Look, my wife works in fashion. <laughs> she has very good fashion sense. She bought it for me. It's cool. I'll <laughs> we'll, give it a pass. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> it sounds... it's Anything anything can be well done. Yeah. Including a plain card tie. Yeah. The problem is most people don't know what that means. Well done. <laughs> right. <laughs> I trust your wife, though. Yeah. I, tr- I trust my wife's fashion sense. Yeah. She gets it. She, You know, it's funny. She's the one that always... Uh, I, you know, I like being very comfortable, right, in my clothing. So, you know, right now I'm wearing a hoodie. Yeah. It's a cashmere hoodie, but it's still a hoodie. <laughs> uh, and jeans and, like, some high-top Reebok sneaks, right? Because yeah. I like being comfortable. And my wife always wants to make me 
Uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> no, she wants me to dress. You know, she's very you know likes. You know, I'm originally European, and she grew up in, in Paris and all the places. So she likes that European aesthetic, and mm-hmm. people in Europe do dress a lot classier, on a whole, than people here. Sure. Um, so I think she would appreciate it. If in my off time, I was, <laughs> you know, wore a scarf all the time. <laughs> Things like that, but are not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I like I like my hoodie. It's a nice hoodie. It I like a, it. It's a gift, actually. Blaine bought this for me. Yeah. I like it. So yeah, clothing clothing's important. You know, dress dress for how you want to be perceived. Yeah, exactly. Because perception is some percentage of it. <laughs> I think you know Joel, Joel Bauer. I think dresses all the time. From what you know, from what legend legend has it that he dresses in a suit every day in case he runs into his clients and he you know he has to look the part of success. And I agree to that to an extent. I think it's important that, you know, if I run into a client in the street that they also perceive me uh, as well-dressed, you know, I'm not disheveled. Yeah. The clothes fit. Yeah. You know, like I said, I try and keep my nails manicured. I try and have my hair cut. I try and shave and, you know, look look decent Yeah. if I leave the house. So, yeah, I think it's important to look, look good, look the part. Yeah. What is the part? What is a magician? What is magic? It's a good question. I think that's different for everybody. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, I get booked for a lot of events where I'm not necessarily there to just do magic. I'm there to also, like, just be a part of the, the, the entertainment on a, as a scene. You know, I get invited to dinners where I get to tell fun stories. And, uh, so I don't know. I think the magic's part of, Identity, not necessarily part of the whole package, right? Yeah, so. yeah. It's a facet of you. Yeah, you're hired for you. Yeah, and what I think you that's bring important. To the table. People should hire you for you. Like, why? Why hire me over? You know, whoever shows up. If you Google New York City magician or something, right? Yeah. So like you have to have reasons for that. Don't I think you own NY Magician? I do. I own NYC <laughs> Magician. I bought them. Like, <laughs> I don't know, 1999. <laughs> You know, I probably bought it when Magician.com was available. But I, you know, for some reason, I bought NYC Magician. Uh, <laughs> com, and it's funny because I, you know, I, I had this discussion with Ryan Oaks last week because I heard of some magicians in the UK whose entire business model was SEO, so search engine optimization. Yeah. So that they would be able to book jobs because they're like the first thing that shows up in Google, and. They do a terrible job, but it doesn't matter because they're not looking to maintain their clients. They're just looking to get that job, get the paycheck, and you know they're not I doing a bad on. job, but they're doing like an okay job. It's not great. They're not going to get hired again. Yeah, and you know that's never been my business strategy. Um, so I've never even looked into like search engine optimization ever. I probably should. <laughs> I might be able to work more if I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm not busy, but um, so I don't know. I think it's a. Uh, you know, most of my jobs come from word of mouth or recommendations or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're good. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, you have to have something that distinguishes you from other people, and I think part of that is branding yourself in that way. Um, I personally brand myself as Magic 2.0. I think it's concise and explains what I want to convey about myself. Which uh, is what. That my magic is different from what other people are doing. Everyone else is 1.0, I'm 2.0. So automatically that states that, like, this isn't what you've seen before. This mm-hmm. is something new. 
Um, I do a lot of magic with phones and technology, so that's kind of incorporated into that statement as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, cutting edge, I think is uh, also what that conveys. And I think, you know, my aesthetic I'm going for is also, if you look at my logo and my site, it's all very clean and, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to use the word sterile. It's current. It's current, Modern. right? So like, you know, I think I based the aesthetic originally on like Apple. Yeah. Because of course that was the cool thing to do back in the day and I kind of stuck with it. And Is that not cool anymore? I think it's cool. I think I it's like so it. cool. I like it. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of things, you know, even from, from uh, you know, Blaine said something very interesting to me, you know, about logo design. He wanted something that, you know, his logo's perfect. It's the perfect logo thing for a magician. Yeah. Uh, it's a genius logo. But, you know, you want something simple that people can recognize and understand, even like a two-year-old or three-year-old could understand or, not to understand, but could even draw that logo if they had to, you know. And mine's a little bit more complex than that, but... And I think simple is sometimes better than elaborate. Complex. Yeah, yeah. Aesthetics important. I think you have to develop a style aesthetically for your online presence, for the way you dress, and differentiate yourself. Uh, you know, come up with a cool—not necessarily cool, but something that represents you. Like I said, Magic 2.0 is the way I've chosen to represent myself. Yeah, uh, you're creating a cohesive experience. You dress well. You do current innovative magic you use technology right. you have a you know a clean modern aesthetic right it's a cohesive whole right, right? Yeah. what is so how do you do not how do you do i'm not saying like what are your methods but like what is what is magic with technology look like how does that how does that work because I, mean, I know like a lot of people are like oh i can't use an iphone because okay, so so i'll give you this yeah <laughs> So when I, before I was really into magic, I was very much into technology, computers. I used to like subscribe to like hacker magazines. And I was like really into, like in my boarding school dorm room, I had a payphone that like someone had stolen from somewhere and given to me, or I don't know if they stole it. They somehow they gave me a payphone because I was really into like phones, and like you know it was hacking and freaking, freaking so you know how you get free phone calls from payphones and stuff. So I was really into that stuff anyway to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then when the Nokia phone came out, so Nokia had one of the first uh, smartphones. But this was before iPhones, right? So they used an operating system called Symbian. And, you know, it was a phone that had like a color screen and a camera, kind of a basic phone. Yeah. Anyway, probably in about year 2000, probably year 2000, I went to Fector's. And I was doing magic with coins and cell phones. So I did like a three fly and then the coins vanished and then my phone rang and then one of the coins appeared in the phone and popped off the screen. Um, so the time was very, very modern. It's actually the first thing I ever showed David Blaine when I met him. Uh, yeah. And it was at the time, no one was doing that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I then started working for Marco Tempest. I produced his TV shows. And Marco and I, you know, he was doing all the screen interactive stuff on stage and I was very much a close-up guy so you know Marco and I started developing software on the Symbian phone we came up with three pieces of magic for the Symbian Nokia mm -hmm. again this is 2001 2002 long before the iPhone came out so everything from a you know coin routine uh, where the phone acted as a metal detector and the coin would appear in the spectator's shoulder and you'd use the phone as a metal detector and find it and then it would appear under their watch mm -hmm. or the phone would ring and you'd put it on speaker and you have a fake conversation and it would tell you where the coin was. Yeah. 
uh, to a routine with like uh, you'd see a fly jumping around the screen and then the fly would disappear and then I'd pretend to grab it from midair as it jumped off the screen and it opened my hand and produced a real fly. Um, you know, so all these kind of like innovative phone stuff because back in that, in that time, no one was doing that. And then when the iPhone came out, apps started happening and people started pulling coins from phones and doing all that stuff. And that was stuff I'd done five or six years before. Yeah. <clears throat> so it lo I lost interest in it because it wasn't new. People had seen it before. There were YouTube videos of other magicians pulling coins from phones and plucking things from screens and like, I'd done that, you know? Yeah. And like I said, you know, I'd, it was based based you know on like Marco Tempest pulling stuff out of screens and other people had done screen stuff before but you know I, I'm pretty confident to say I was the first if not one of the first people to do that with phones because that didn't exist before people at Vector saw me do that like I said in 2000 but when everyone started doing it it wasn't interesting so then I started to evolve from that I started working with like text messaging right so I created all these like text message magic apps that um I still do. Are you writing this code? Or are you developing so it? Or? I learned how to code specifically for that. I'm not. I don't call myself a developer, although some people, developers, that I've shown this stuff to, actually disagree and say, "Oh, you are a developer," but I think they're being too kind. <laughs> but I learned how to code. Uh, I learned a little bit in high school, and then I learned Pascal in high school, which is a useless language. Uh, but it kind of gave me the, the the background as to how to translate the coding concepts into other languages. Yeah. So I taught myself PHP and I, I built some apps on PHP that I still use today. Um, and my coding is ugly, but it works. And I literally, you know, I write something maybe in like 50 lines of code that someone else could write in five. Yeah. But whatever, it works. And if something goes wrong with that, I can fix it and I know exactly what's going on. Um, so yeah, I started kind of working in that stuff. And that, you know, now I meet other coders, you know, Mark Kirstein, for example genius amazing coder amazing magician i just spent uh, a day with him two days ago in london uh, we love jamming and ideas uh, and i wish i had the coding skills that he has um, but i don't so you know i if i don't have to code all you know i can always refer it to friends or whatever but i do have a, a solid understanding of that stuff which you know parlays into my magic 2.0 i actually you know that is part of me i i, I am I come from a tech background. I have a genuine interest in technology. I subscribe to tech blogs. I read about that stuff. I, I look at new innovative tech products that come on. I think, how can I make that magical? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Have you worked on any of the VR stuff? You know, Does it's funny. I, I, uh, VR has intrigued me a lot. Um, I bought a 360 cam when it first came out because I wanted to film magic on 360 because I thought the experience would be interesting because you give the the spectator the control to look yeah. you have control so for example uh, card under glass right I think that's an amazing effect uh, to film on 360 cam because it's all about misdirection right and yeah. you give people now an element of control so I, you know I think it's very interesting that VR stuff I tried oculus rift for the first time two nights ago three nights ago <laughs> okay. at my, my friend's apartment in London and it was amazing. So I got to climb a mountain face. And for a few moments, I completely forgot that I was standing in his living room. And I had no kind of spatial awareness of where I was if I was going to, like, you know, if I was facing the, his TV or, like, facing the stairs or whatever. You know, I didn't have to move around. I just had to use my arms and whatnot. Yeah. But it's a very immersive thing. I can't wait to play with it again. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm a little bit torn because I think magic is amazing when it's experienced in person, right? Yeah. So like, that's what's amazing about it. It's real. So I don't know. I think there's interesting things there. But in general, I think, you know, even TV is a terrible medium for magic. Yeah. But I'm not against moving with the times and, you know, adapting some of that stuff. It's interesting. I'm, I'm not actively pursuing it, but, I, you know, I have people emailing me about stuff like that. And uh, I'm always open to collaborations if I find the right person. Sure. Well, I mean, speaking of collaborations, you consulted for a number of television specials and like how do you do magic on TV because it's not the right medium and that is the golden question yeah and that's why people come to me for and pay me for that answer <laughs> um, it's very difficult yeah um, you know a lot of challenges with magic on TV the big the biggest thing is to make it believable mm-hmm. right and unfortunately you know David Blaine for example worked very hard to make his magic credible on television and then other magicians uh, came out with magic TV specials and end up faking things. And they actually, what they do on a, to the audience on a whole is they take away the credibility again for magic on TV. Yeah. So now people like David, who's very genuine and works really hard to capture those moments, real and what you see on camera with him is what happens in real life, has to work hard again to rebuild that credibility because yeah. I don't think it's people believe in magic on a per magician basis on TV they believe in it on a per medium basis right yeah so if they see like fake magic on TV once they they assume that fake magic exists on TV for everybody so you know it's a constant battle to uh, build that credibility so yeah you know I, I think about a lot of ideas of how to do that how do we make people you know, going back to our conversation about spontaneity and improv and things like that, I think if you can make the TV show and the magic on TV feel like a genuine interaction and it's spontaneous and has improv moments and everything else, then again, people are more inclined to believe it. Yeah. Uh, and David is very good at that. So I think, you know, it's also trying to capture those moments. You know, you, you go out sometimes with a specific effect in mind that you want to film and you have to figure out how do you make that feel genuine and real mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that has to do with the director and, and how they choose to film it and then how it gets edited and but yeah it's just it's they're building blocks you gotta figure out how to build it and, and maintain it yeah finding the the focal points yeah and I think your magic has to be believable too you know like I remember seeing a magician I don't like naming names but seeing a magician flying between two buildings and I thought it's so ridiculous come on like last week, or not last week, but you know, a couple of years before that, Blaine was barely levitating two inches, and then falling over and collapsing and having a nosebleed, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're flying between buildings. It's like you know, if you think about people's believability, right? Mm-hmm. Like advancement and innovation doesn't come that fast, right? So if their belief is that Blaine, who's the first magician to ever really levitate in real life, got like three inches above the ground or five inches or whatever it is and then fell over and collapsed and had a nosebleed you know for two years later or a year later for someone to just effortlessly fly between buildings like it's nothing it's like you know the collective consciousness I don't think necessarily believes that it's too far it's too far-fetched yeah so I don't know it's a matter of like balancing like you know the two perfect theory and and, uh, kind of crafting crafting a, a piece of television that 
is believable and, and is intriguing and makes people not want to switch channels and uh, yeah. yeah not easy and it, it only gets more difficult as more people enter the game and ruin it for everybody else that tries hard <laughs> sure, <yeah. laughs> I think, you know especially yeah. you know you have people like um, Zach King and you know and I, li- I love Zach King I think he's got some great ideas come from Zach King right mm-hmm. but you know, and I'm happy that he openly he's not a magician he's you know a video editor yeah Right, so you see his stuff on Instagram, you think, "Wow, that's amazing!" Like I see that, I'm like, "Be great if you could do that in real life." Some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm happy that like he brands himself not as a magician, but then you get other magicians that do exactly the same thing that he's doing, and they brand themselves as magicians. And now you've just raised the bar as to what people think is really doable, and it's not real. And um, now when you're competing on a space, you know you have TV execs that have expectations that are X and what you want to deliver is really believable and Y then now you have a difference and it's hard to bridge that gap sometimes. Yeah. Uh, People are overselling and under delivering. Yeah and then all of a sudden they get asked to do that stuff live and you can't do it. You know so I think as a, on a whole as magicians we have to agree on like you know kind of a set of rules. Yeah there has to be a standard. Yeah and like look I, know, I get it everyone wants to kind of be one ahead from everybody else and you're mm. kind of raising the bar yeah but there has to be some kind of moral uh, understanding or, or ethical understanding between magicians as to like keeping things believable right yeah we all have to be on the same team right right to Just advance to magic. advance our art form as yeah. a whole not like you know trying to be selfish and advance yourself but then destroy it for everybody else yeah you know? I think because we're not all on the same page that's why magic I mean, yeah, I mean, we, you already said it, but that's why magic doesn't work on TV. One of the reasons magic doesn't work on TV is because the public, when they're watching a movie, they know it's a fiction, but that's never even a thought that they have. Right. But when they watch magic, because they're not exposed to it, or they don't, you know, they don't respect it because they don't know how because they've never seen it or been educated in it, they go, this isn't real, he's faking that or whatever. And, uh, you know, they are, but it's a difference between using sleight of hand in psychology or that's a camera trick yeah yeah Yeah, I think Darren does a really good job of it you know he he makes this stuff very believable Uh, one of the sources of inspiration I used to use a lot is Mythbusters because I like tapping into people's pre-existing beliefs yeah and expanding upon those I think that's what you kind of have to do right you have to make things believable you have to make you have to coax people into your world Slowly, right? And I think David's a, you know, he figured out an amazing formula for himself of mixing real with magic. And, you know, it's definitely his brand and it's a very smart brand. And, you know, I was honored to, you know, work with him and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, definitely learned a lot. But, you know, that works for him. I think everyone has to figure out their own version of that um, that's different but yeah. also believable. Believ- believable and genuine and. You know, these are words that I think keep coming up in our discussion. Yeah. But I think they're very, very important, and I think a lot of people start to ignore that. Yeah. And look, I get it. Like for you know, promo images, having you know, using Photoshop for promo stuff, or like whatever. That's one thing, right? Because you can make you can make that stuff look fantastical, right, and slightly fake, and it still represent your image and what you want to convey. Yeah. But when it comes to brass tacks and actually performing and Putting out your art form in it as a performance, yeah, on TV or YouTube or Instagram or whatever, I think you have to 
say what it is, right? Like if you are a camera trick guy like Zach King, then brand yourself that, right? Yeah. If you're like the Instagram magician and that your magic only works on Instagram, then be that, right? Yeah. You are the Instagram guy. But yeah, we have to kind of, you know, there's all these new mediums for sharing magic and we have to kind of adhere to a set of rules that doesn't destroy for everybody else. Yeah. You, know? you can't, you know, you have to take it on yourself to not ruin somebody else's thing inadvertently. Mm-hmm. You know. Even if they are your competition. Right? Yeah. The competition's good. There, there's, you know, I got, off, I got offered to consult a TV show last year and they couldn't afford my fee, but I helped them anyway. And the guy said, you know, why, why are you giving us all this free advice? And I said, because good magic on TV doesn't just help me, it helps everybody. Yeah. So I said, I'd rather you do it right represent the TV show well then do it poorly and then you know magic doesn't look good yeah and it actually worked to my favor because you know a year later so a few months ago the guy came back to me said okay we finally have a budget you know now we can actually spend some money mm-hmm. so you know I still got a job out of it but um I don't know I think it's important to represent our art even, even if it doesn't come out of profit to you I think it's important to elevate ourselves as a whole as yeah. opposed to like being selfish and Trying to elevate yourself, but ruining for other people. Yeah, each of us is a custodian of. Right, exactly. That's the best word. We're all custodians of our art form, so we should respect that. Yeah, we're all on the same team. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, there's a thing on your site. It's incognito magic. What's oh, yeah. that? Like I said, I get invited to parties sometimes, and I'm not necessarily. You know, here's the magician. Yeah, uh, the the guy that's you know a friend of the host, and I'm doing magic. You know, just for fun. I'm not like you know hired entertainment. You know, yeah, um, just a different way to like make my product interesting for people. Mm-hmm. Just give them more options. Uh, yeah, sometimes people don't necessarily want like overt entertainment. They'd rather have what appears to be interesting guests and friends who liven up a party just by their presence right so it's just a way of just a way of selling myself in a different way oh that's cool i like that a lot i saw that and i was like that's sexy yeah like that idea i think it's i think it's interesting yeah i don't know i think i think you can like i said it's all about how you how you're perceived right yeah how do you know how do you maximize someone's magical experience now what if you don't even label yourself a magician yeah right what if you just have like one skill or you have I know I think about these things often it's not necessarily that's not necessarily something I practice but like I don't know I think it's just something to think about how people perceive you and how you can parlay that perception into an amazing story or experience that you can give somebody yeah people I was talking about this with uh, Tony right and it was you know some some of the hardest times we've ever been fooled we, we didn't know there was a magic trick. Oh my god, I'll give you a right? story. I was in London uh, how many years ago? Ten plus years ago. And there's a private members club called Tramp, right? And oh, Tramp like is like a place you can have dinner, but then at nighttime turns into a nightclub and you know, membership is kind of handed down from generation to generation and the guy that kind of runs it's been there for thirty years and it's a very intimate small place. Everyone that goes there kinda of knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the guy that ran it doesn't run it anymore, but the guy that ran it was a guy named Guido. And Guido saw me doing magic. 
So he said, oh, I do magic too. Well, I don't know if he actually said those words, but he explained that he had a magical ability. And then throughout the evening, and I'm, I, I'm not a big drinker, so I, it wasn't like I was drunk or anything. But anyway, throughout the evening, in a small nightclub, I would randomly feel like a knocking on my foot, like someone was knocking my foot. And I'd look, and there was nobody there, right? Mm -hmm. and I'd look around, like, what the hell was that? And Guido would be at the other end of the room, give me the thumbs up and the wink. Yeah. Taking, you know, taking credit for. And it happened, like, six or seven times that night. I kept looking around, like, how the hell is this happening, you know? It was, like, the most amazing PK touches from a, from a non-magician, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it was it was an amazing experience. And it turns out this is something he's been doing for years. It's not like he did it just for me. This is like one of his things, mm -hmm. right? He's not a magician, right? He's just the guy that runs this nightclub. Yeah. Or a private members club. Anyway, you know, I love that. It was like one of the most magical things to me that like I got to experience. I was fooled. I mean, now I know how it works because I went back the next night not to discover it, but I accidentally discovered the method. Yeah. Um, which is not what you would think it is. Or imagine it to be a very, very creative method, actually. Um, but yeah, it was very full, and, and it was partly because he was a magician, you know? I wasn't expecting that from him. So anyways, it's interesting, like you said, to be perceived in different ways and, and have various skills. Yeah. How did you get into magic? Um, so my magic stems from a... I was always a practical joker, and I'm still a very big practical <laughs> joker. Why? Because um, I like to mess with people. <laughs> so, okay, so if I had to really maybe analyze it, I grew up in the Middle East and there wasn't necessarily, you know, the same range of activities for people to do in the Middle East as, as, a, as a kid than you have in the States, right? It's not like there's movie theaters and, I mean, probably now there are, but I remember growing up as a kid uh, when we first got Coca-Cola. We had Pepsi, but like Coca-Cola was like a new product to the region or like McDonald's. I remember when McDonald's came, like that was all new stuff, right? So I grew up in this kind of amazing place that uh, kind of small things were were big. Um, and there was a pharmacy down the street from where I lived that had a rack that had like practical jokes. So everything from like whoopee cushions to, you know, the flying ice cube to, uh, you know, those fake puff puff cigarettes, mm -hmm. right? So I used to literally go in there buy all that stuff yeah. just mess with people my parents would have dinner parties at the house and I would just you know, play practical jokes I remember walking to this, the pharmacy one day where they sold this stuff me and my sister probably like six years old walking down the street smoking those fake puff puff cigarettes it's like you, they have talcum powder or something inside you blow on them and the fake smoke comes out I remember people like coming to screeching halts in their car and like shouting at us because they thought we were smoking <laughs> I loved that I, I got this huge reaction from it you know um, and I'm still like a big practical joker. Actually, I have a a job where I'm consulting on a very big practical joke for a uh, famous business guy. Uh, his his friends want to play a big joke on him, so I just got hired to to work on that. So I, you know, I have all these weird projects I enjoy. Do you have like a reputation as a practical joker? Um, I hope not, because then it kind of ruins it, right? Uh, but I've done some pretty fun ones. Yeah. Oh. Is there any? Are there any good stories? My favorite joke I think I've ever done was when I was in boarding school. There was a girl that dated a friend of mine for a short period of time. And anyway, I didn't really particularly like this girl very much. Um, her name is Yana. Anyway, so Yana 
and I knew each other, you know, briefly. Cut to about eight years later, I get a phone call. I'm now in New York, haven't seen a girl in like eight years. Get a phone call and it's this girl, Yana, and she ends up that she manages the building where I park my motorcycle. So she had seen on the roster of clients of the garage my name and figured it might be me. So she made uh, the effort to call me and asked if it was me and it was just down the street from where I lived. And she said, oh, we should hang out sometime. I said, sure. So of course this girl hasn't seen me in eight years. Yeah. Anyway, so one day my friend Toby is at my apartment and Toby is a crazy guy I know from London. He's a was a paparazzi photographer. He's got a crazy personality. He's half my height, has a fro, looks nothing like me. <laughs> so Toby's at my apartment in New York. This girl Yana calls. She says, hey, I just got off work. I haven't seen you in eight years. Would love to catch up. And I said, sure, come over. And I give her my address. Anyway, it's just me and Toby at the apartment. And I say to Toby, look, this girl, her name's Yana. She dated my friend Ali. We went to the Hun school. Kind of give her all the basic facts. I say, pretend to be me. And then I hid in the closet, right? So she <laughs> rings the doorbell. He opens the door. It's like, Yana. And he looks nothing like me. Yeah. Right? And she's now like completely confused, shocked, like, but going with it because, you know. Anyway. Because he's convincing. Yeah, he's very convincing. He knows all the names and everything, you know. Anyway, very funny for me, not funny for her. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like harmless stuff. Harmless stuff. Okay. But, you know. You know, I, I just you know, put myself in her shoes. I hadn't seen somebody in eight years, comes over to an apartment in New York, has meets a guy that knows everything, does not look like anything like you remember him to look like, yeah. you know, and he's just casually, like, you know, having conversation with you. It's very, you know, disorienting, uh, disorientating. I know, I, you know, I, I'm always opportunistic. I barely plan out these jokes. It's just something that yeah, okay, happens, you know. Uh, I did one. Actually, I'll give you another fun one. Years ago, in the UK working with Dynamo and Dynamo's perception is this we get into his car three three of us four of us get into his car drive to a restaurant 10 minute drive away uh, and then when he got out of his car I was already at the restaurant so what actually happened was again very opportunistic we get in the car I sit in the back seat behind him he gets in and he loves music so he like pumps up his music yeah I get in and I say something to him so he recognizes I'm there. Meanwhile, there's actually another car going to the restaurant. So I get in, I say something to him, then I roll out of the car, back door, and I slam the door closed so he, and his perception is, I just got in the car and I closed the door. Meanwhile, yeah. the music's pumping and it's like a 10-minute car ride and his manager Dan's in the front and they're talking. I hide behind the car until he drives off and I jump in the other car. We race to the restaurant. Then I get out, I run around the restaurant, and I come, like, running from the restaurant to meet him. He, yeah. like, you know, did not expect me. He thought I was in the back of his car, so he has no idea how the hell I just appeared at the restaurant, you know. So, you know, these are opportunistic things. These are things that, like, happen organically. I'm always, like, looking for opportunities and things to, like, mess with people. And yeah. I think those, you know, practical jokes parlay in the same thinking into magic. How, how do you create a story or an experience for somebody that's in the moment and real and, you know, opportunistic? Yeah. So yeah, I forgot about that vanishing one. It's funny because I think Weber, maybe a month later, had, had heard about it somehow and like messaged me about it, which I was proud of that Weber had heard about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that doesn't sound like a practical joke to me. It no, it was, like it was magic. pretty magical. Yeah. You know, it was like I literally vanished from the back of a moving car and appeared at the destination. He teleported you. Yeah, it was pretty you know opportunistic. Yeah, but why not? So I, mean, I was improvising the entire thing. I didn't know. 
what I was going to do. I just thought it'd be cool to like vanish from his car, and I was like, okay, now, now I'm gone, and he thinks I'm there. What do I do next? Uh, I gotta beat him to the restaurant. Yeah, I get yeah. in the car. Like, how do, how do I, how do I beat him there? And we didn't actually just race. I think I like ducked in the other car because we passed him, or we stopped next to a traffic light with him. So if there was a convincer there. He didn't see me in the car, and then when we got to the restaurant. They let me out down the block, and I ran around the block and appeared at the restaurant or something. I, I don't know. It was, it was you know all improvised. And yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So you were into practical jokes as a kid, and then yeah, and then somehow that parlayed into magic. It's the same thinking, I think. It's the same, the same method of thinking, right? You're looking for opportunities and how to make them into something amazing or wondrous or unexpected. Yeah. Uh, and I think with magic, I like working with my hands. I'm very big into, I wish I had time to cook more. But I like cooking. I like mechanics. I ride motorcycles. So I like I like fixing and tinkering. And I just bought like an old Volkswagen bus from the 70s. Oh, right. Uh, so I like the mechanics of that. It's, yeah. you know, it's, I like it because some of my bikes, you know, they are a little too complex to actually work on. Like a dirt bike, no problem. You can like tear that thing apart and like, Put it back together. Put it back together. Yeah. You know, I have uh, a couple Ducatis, and like those are like a little bit more high maintenance that require computer software, and they have a Desmodronic valve system you can't adjust without special tools. So like, you know, some of that stuff I can't can't fiddle with that stuff. Yeah, you can't fiddle. But the Volkswagen, it's like there's manuals (laughs) and there's communities and forums, and you know, if it breaks down, it's like you know, you get out your hands and knees and you you can fix it. Yeah. Bust out like a timing light. fiddle with it I don't know it's it's fun I like using my hands so I think all of those interests the practical jokes and the hand stuff and I think you know magic was the perfect combination of that yeah uh, I went to school to say finance uh, I went to Stern NYU and somehow made a left turn and made a career out of magic you know? yeah. yeah that's so interesting Oh, it's all it's all part of the journey, right? Yeah. Did you see that uh, VW is coming out with a new bus in like twenty you know, or something? I've seen a few different things of it. It's, it's interesting, but part of what the charm of the old exactly. bus for me is that the fact that well, there's a few things. You know, number one, you can work on them and, and fix them and restore them and whatnot. Number two is like if it breaks down, it's part of the adventure, right? So like this summer, I went to I went upstate with my wife. And we're driving, and it starts to get dark, and we wanted to go to like a pumpkin festival. And we're cruising around in the bus, and the sun's setting, and all of a sudden my headlights go out. So I pull over, I check the fuses, and there's like nothing wrong with the fuses. So I'm like, what do I do? So I, I'm like, if I don't keep driving, I'm gonna be stuck in these like little back streets, and I might be stuck here for the night, which is fine. I, it's a camper, I can just sleep in a thing. But we're also going to miss the festival. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to like gun it at like, you know, it's not a very fast vehicle, but <laughs> as fast as I can to get to this festival. I made it, you know, slightly after sunset. I kind of sandwiched myself between cars, got to like a parking lot, and then went on a forum and kind of asked this group of people, how do I jimmy rig the lights so I can get them to work, right? So I can bypass whatever electrical system it is that's making it not work. Yeah. Went to the festival. By the time I came out, went back on the forums. And then basically with uh, two little pieces of wire, which I had, I have a toolkit in the Volkswagen. Emergency kit, yeah. <laughs> two little pieces of wire, I was able to jump around the fuses and, and uh, 
jimmy the lights to get them to work so I could drive home that night. You know, and, I, and it's part of the fun of it. You know, so I, you know, I, I like the new bus that's coming up, but yeah. it's it doesn't have the same. Doesn't charm. have the adventure, right? Yeah. I think part of life is creating adventures, and if you yeah. you, know, you have fun experiences with that, right? And now I learned something too. I learned about the lights in my bus. Yeah, how to fix them. That's part of. It sounds like your whole life is problem solving. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what magic is. Magic is creative problem solving, right? That's if you were to sum up magic yeah. as a whole, you want to achieve something, and how do you do that in a creative way? And then even inside of magic, you're jazzing. Yeah. You know. And yeah, uh, and getting yourself out of situations, yeah. right? That's what jazzing is like. Car, any card, any number, and they say like something completely not what you want outside of your range, or they change the card or whatever. It's like okay, well, how do I dig myself out of that? Yeah, and still make it a, a great effect. So yeah, problem solving I think is important. I think that's basically what magic is. I think it's a good way to summarize it in a very small, easy way. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, how'd you end up in New York? I, I went to school. Went right? to school here. Yeah, but went to school here. You know, I hate I hate winters in New York. So I try and travel as much as I can in the winter time, except for December because I work a lot of holiday parties and corporate events in December. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'm lucky I travel for work anyway. I just hate cold weather. I grew up in warm climates. I hate extra clothing. I hate having to come into a place and undressing and redressing afterwards and, you know, having to carry umbrellas and jackets. And, um, so, yeah, I love New York. But I also hate it in the winter. <laughs> um, and it's a place also, it's interesting as in, in terms of magic. People in New York have seen everything. And so I feel like I have to work really hard to... Uh, impress people here but then when I do magic elsewhere it's like you know the baseball player that before the game uses a weighted bat yeah right and then you know I just did a show two, Thursday night two nights ago in London yeah and you think London has seen everything as well but man I found that easy that was such an easy gig for me because I don't know maybe maybe it's because they thought it was an American it was exotic in some way or I don't know I don't know what the actual <laughs> thought process was behind it but I, yeah. I've literally found it to be like a much easier audience so you know I like the training that New York gives me I think if you can also succeed in New York doing something like magic then you could do it anywhere but I don't know New York's a, a vibrant city where you can meet anybody do anything mm-hmm. yeah, opportunities here it's also a good place to be based out of it's very it's, very, it's a hub right yeah the hub. <laughs> but that's not to recommend any other magicians moving to New York. We, don't, we have enough. <laughs> this is our turn, Frank. Yeah. Um, where are your parents from? You were uh, born Scotland. in Scotland. So they're from Scotland. Yep. Do they still live there? They live in Germany. Oh, okay. So what was that like? Growing up and being born and moving around and... Um, getting all these different cultural pretty experiences. Pretty awesome, actually. I, I, I feel lucky and privileged that I had that as an upbringing because I feel like it gives me a very strong competitive advantage in magic over other people. Uh, because, so, I, you know, I, if I, I've traveled a lot and I've been to a lot of different places. So usually one of the first things if I want to connect with somebody is where I ask them where they're from. 
and I usually have been there or know something about it or about their food or about their language or have a couple words to say about it or something and it's just a way to like break the ice and connect with them in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm very good at also deciphering accents. I'm good at deciphering just by looking at somebody where they're from as well. Ooh, that's my favorite thing to do. So I'm, I'm very good at that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, cab drivers and all sorts of people. Uh, even, uh, you know, looking at, looking at someone's last name, like in a taxi and knowing exactly what region in India they're from or whatever. You know, like all that stuff. And I think especially when people aren't expecting, if they're from somewhere, you know, random. Yeah. And I say random. I mean like somewhere small that doesn't get a lot of recognition. I'll give you an example. Where was I recently? Uh, I forget where I was, but immediately I knew from a few short words with the woman that she was from Ethiopia. And I literally said to her, oh, you're from Ethiopia. And she was blown away by that. And then I had commentary, you know, I've never been to Ethiopia, but I know people from there. My sister had been there recently. and I could have a, a short conversation about Ethiopia and Eritrea, which is next to it, and asked if she spoke Italian too because of the... Italians went into Ethiopia and actually, you know, had some territory there. It was an Italian colony at some point. So, you know, having some kind of uh, knowledge about, you know, worldly affairs and, you know, I think is important. So I feel privileged I, I had that upbringing uh, and it allows me to connect with people yeah. uh, on a level that sometimes they don't expect. Yeah. Do you, do you do many shows in Germany and in... Uh, um, I don't think I've ever done a show in Germany. I do a lot of shows internationally. Uh, this this week has been pretty heavy travel. I've I mean in the past ten days I've done shows in San Francisco, New York, Jamaica, and London. So pretty pretty heavy week. Yeah. Um, I'm in New York for the next week or so, and then I'm in Vegas for a show. Uh, I did have an option for a show in Dubai this week, but that didn't happen. So yeah, I travel a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's winter here, so I don't mind traveling. <laughs> Uh, and it's also if I get the chance to travel and have a couple of days off, I usually try and bring my wife with me. So yeah. She came to San Fran. She came to Jamaica. She came to London. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met through a mutual friend at the Ace Hotel. I went to the Ace Hotel to meet Derek Hughes for his birthday, just to sit and have a drink. I think he might have been staying there. And then I met a girl there that I had known for years. She was a friend of David Blaine's, uh, and she introduced me to my wife. She's my wife's best friend, so yeah. That's cool. Um, didn't show my wife magic for a good six months. She knew I was a magician. She saw me hanging out with Blaine, so I think she understood that I was a decent magician yeah. by the associations. Sure. But um, I didn't really show her anything. Why? Because I used to do that a lot. I used to meet girls by using magic a lot, and it's really fun in your 20s. And it, you know, it was very... Productive in some ways and counterproductive in other ways, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but I think if you want to have meaningful relationships with people, like I didn't want to rely on, you know, that social crutch or like having her like me for the mag- just the magic side of me, right? So there's other parts of me that I think are interesting. Yeah. Aside from the magic, right? So how I think it's a good character development exercise, also, right? To like not use magic when you could yes right it's a little yeah. bit like cheating right yeah. not just for meeting women but like for life for anything <laughs> yeah. right now look i don't mind for example if like i'm looking for a flight upgrade doing something quick and simple like sticking a pen up my nose and putting it on my mouth or i don't know something organic and fun for the check-in desk lady so she'll give me the 
upgrade or what or whatever it is I'm looking for, right? To be memorable in that way, right? Uh, like I will use magic as a tool for that. Yeah. When I need to. Yeah. But I think when you have the option to, I think if you can be interesting in other ways, then the magic is the is the cream on top, right? Sure. Uh, and you can also forge, I think, more genuine relationships that way, because the magic is sometimes an amplified version of yourself. So you know, especially with like you know someone I knew, I wanted to have a meaningful relationship, meaningful relationship with. with yeah. Right. It's different if you want to meet someone for business or whatever, then like use whatever tools at your disposal. But if you want to have like meaningful things, I'm not trick monkey, right? I'm, yeah. I'm me. And I, I I bring other things to the table. So yeah. let those be the main thing and the magic is yeah. a facet of me, right? Yeah. Magic can very easily be overpowered. Yeah, it can trump it can trump a lot of things. Yeah. And it's funny because most people assume that uh, I met my wife using magic. You know, I uh, I find my wife particularly attractive, uh, and I don't. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I don't think that I'm necessarily. I'm not like model type. I'm not like you know. I'm I'm not bad looking, but you know. So there's a there's a somewhat of a difference between how you married up. You married yeah, up. I married up. Yeah. That's a good way to say. It. I married up, right? So I think people assume. <laughs> that you cheated. <laughs> yeah, that I must have cheated somehow, right? That like, I, I used magic, I had, that I had to use magic. You fooled her into marrying Right. You. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of, it's one of the, the, the surprises, you know, when we tell people, oh, yeah, I didn't show magic for six months, they're like, oh, really? You know? And I'm like, yeah. Doesn't that say something about people's perception of magicians, That's, though? I'm fine with that, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I just mean, like, you know. You can you you had to do magic to do the thing. You can't be an interesting person that is right. But I think thing. but I think we've it's our own fault. Yeah, we've dug ourselves in that hole ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh it's funny. But yeah, I definitely did marry up in that sense. So. <laughs> well, I just I just asked about it because I know you know Dave uh, Dave Buck got married three or four years ago, and you know he still only ever showed his wife like. Three tricks, maybe. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I'm just curious about it because, like, I think too many people put too much emphasis on tricks. Yeah, and, and it's it's not about tricks; it's about you as a person. Like, if I had to give anyone any young budding magician advice, it wouldn't be like read Vernon, <laughs> you know, which I think is important too. But sure, I think the advice is like you know have interests outside of magic that that make you a whole person so you don't just develop into magic dork because yes. magic dork's great at a convention but outside of the convention it's hard to parlay magic dork into like business yeah and uh, success in life yeah without having other interesting facets to you it's also just not I mean I I just think just generally it's more fulfilling to like experience the world you know, if you focus in and hone in on something so hard that it consumes you and you don't do anything else, like I'm okay with that to a degree, right? I think it's it's really good to specialize in something, right? It's oh, of like, course, sure. Uh, to be the go-to guy for something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the expert in something. I think that's important. I'd rather be an expert in something than like a jack of all trades. Although I do it, maybe it's a little hypocritical. I do. I I like to have a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. Yeah. But I think you know, in magic, or even particularly like television magic, things like that. I yeah, I am 
an expert. Yeah. I hate calling myself an expert in something, but I think I have enough credits to my name I that think I it's would totally be fair, considered yeah. an expert. Right. You I have think, a you have a like a specialty. You have a specialization, right, right. and that's fair. Right. But like, I don't think any perf- I don't think any artist can only do their art and be considered like right. You know. I don't think it's important to be humble about yes what you do. I think you know Dave Blaine, David Blaine said it right. You know his first magic special is called Street Magic, and the reason he called it Street Magic in his thinking, and I think his great thinking is that before that was all world's greatest magic and best whatever you know. And mm-hmm. Street Magic was a very nitty gritty name that kind of lowered your expectations. It wasn't world's greatest. It was intriguing, but you know also low expectations. Yeah, uh, and I I like that. I like undersell over deliver. Yeah, undersell over deliver. Things really important. It's like it's a magic trick, right? It's like it's like kicker endings. You want to like surprise people. Yeah, pleasantly. I don't know, but these are just approaches that work for me. They don't sure. necessarily work for other people. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> You're not to, preaching. I'm not giving out, giving out advice or anything. It's just how I figured it out that works for me. Yeah, I can't believe I gave away that advice about how to. Work a room. Work a room. That's like, that's, that's gold. I think that works for everybody. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, I just lost my competitive edge. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody could be you. Um, what do you, what is it, what is it that you're excited about now in Magic? Um, is it the scripted stuff that you're trying? No, 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 no. I, like I said, I like to make myself a little uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So I'm always trying new material. I'm always trying new things and, I spend a lot of time developing stuff, and sometimes it's hundreds of hours that go to waste because nothing comes about it. Or, and I'm I'm uh, I'm big into mentalism. Really? Yeah. Because I enjoy the psychology of mentalism a lot. So okay. I, you know, I I can have two shows. I do like for close up. I do a lot of like card stuff and phone stuff. And, tech stuff and then uh, you know when I do kind of stagey stuff I do a lot more mentalism but not necessarily classical mentalism you know I try and have my own little take on it sure uh, yeah I don't know I like I like just pushing myself and trying new things all the time yeah I think it's important to try new things and things that you don't necessarily know that you you'd like you know I think uh, I think most most magicians have terrible taste in magic, which is why magic shops are filled with so much crap, right? And I'm happy about that. I'm happy that I think maybe one of my skills for TV magic, why why I might have somehow gone into TV magic or fall into that sphere and become uh, so 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 an expert in it in some way is yeah. because I have good taste in magic or magic that somehow works. So I don't know. Sometimes I experiment with doing things that I wouldn't normally do, just to see how that fits. And sometimes that just forces me into knowing myself better as a performer, right? Sure. And then, okay. So the other thing is uh, reading. I read a lot of books, not not really fiction stuff, but uh, old books. My biggest recommendation would be to get an Ask Alexander subscription because there's some gold in that. To try to take old ideas and make them new. Yeah, that's that's my approach. It's always find hard to find like an original new concept. So why not find an older concept 
and modernize it. Yeah. And make it work for you. Give it a facelift. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Conjuring Arts, you work with the uh, Hocus Pocus project. Right? I did for a long time. I haven't done it in a while. Okay. Um, but I did for a long time doing magic at uh, juvenile detention centers and veteran hospitals and kids' hospitals. And, uh, and that was extremely rewarding, actually, uh, in a lot of different ways. So, like, I had one kid in, in a hospital that was there every, I don't know how many weeks, every three weeks or every four weeks. He was there for chemo. And he would sit there with his mom and do his homework. I remember one week he was learning about matrices and math. And so I showed him, like, the 21 card trick and explained how it applied to matrix math. And then so he saw the parallels between that and mathematics, and he developed this really genuine interest in magic. And then, you know, he ended up over the course of his treatment, hopefully getting better. I, it's hard to tell because you know, as someone goes into hospitals, you, you have to maintain a certain amount of uh, separation between yourself and the patients on a privacy level, for legal reasons, apart from other reasons as well. Yeah. So, anyway, at the end of the, his his uh, treatment. Uh, he said thank you very much and then a couple weeks later this book came out of art and poetry and different things that all the kids who've been at the hospital had done and this kid had written this amazing poetry uh, poem about magic that I have now in my refrigerator wow uh, so yeah it's rewarding in all these kind of fun unexpected ways I had another kid at a juvenile detention center this kid who's about 17 years old named Fortune and the first week that I met him you know, he's kind of the alpha male of the group, and when he would react to magic, he would, like, take swings, like, in the air, right? It's kind of this aggressive uh, reaction. Yeah. But, like, I knew that, like, you know, you can't flinch or do anything during that stuff because you have to, you know, he's being alpha, and you just have to roll with it and not, you know, hit him right back, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I end up getting a, a good rapport with this kid, and, you know, they're all there waiting to be processed, uh, to go to court before they get sent or, or um, uh, they get their sentences handed to them. Anyway, so this kid ended up being sentenced in the last week that I saw him. You know, he's a very aggressive kid that kind of grew up in bad circumstances. He used to swear a lot. <coughs> Not the most um, articulate, but, you know, I would still say like a, a good kid. Yeah. At the end of his, uh, you know, six weeks or whatever, I saw him uh, right before I left. He said, look, I'm, I'm leaving next week to go upstate, but I just wanted to stop you before you left and say thank you. And it was like the last thing you'd expect, you know, a from a kid like that. Yeah. Because he was not, he was never, you know, thankful or, or openly, he never showed like an emotional side of him or like, you know, in, in that environment. And uh, it was pretty amazing to see over the course of these six weeks, how he opened up. Uh, so it was very rewarding. Yeah. That program still exists. You know, Ricky Smith does it a lot. Uh, I stopped because I moved to London to produce Dynamo's show. Mm -hmm. And then uh, got back to New York and then somehow didn't pick it back up again. Um, but yeah. That's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, we, we, we're, we have a gift and we should share it with people. Not necessarily teach it all the time. I think but definitely sure. Yeah. It can be a very profound experience for somebody. Right. Yeah. Alright. Well, um I feel like I've taken a lot of a lot of your time. Are we recording this whole time? <laughs>
I mean, I, there's. I I'm curious to hear like about your Tamra's influence and that kind of stuff. How you Ooh, that's that? a huge influence. But, so I have, I have kind of two two main influences in, in my life in magic. One is uh, Tamra's, and the other is Chankanesta. My two two big influences, and I didn't really appreciate. I remember when I was first started doing magic, I didn't really appreciate Tamra's. People kept saying, "Oh, Tamra's is amazing." He does all this stuff, and I watch videos, and I just see like a crazy old man you know, <laughs> screaming, screaming, and doing a violin. And I didn't really get it. Yeah. And then I started to understand more the psychology of magic. And when you understand the psychology, and you see all the little details that that guy does, and I go to his lectures, and I start to kind of understand and dissect all how how intentional everything is, every little action, and how everything sets things up psychologically for people. The guy is a true genius. Yeah. So I uh, I read anything or watch anything I can I can get my hands on with Tamaris. Uh, and then Chankanasta, same thing. Like the guy really understood people and how people make decisions and things like that. So I became obsessed with him years ago, and actually became obsessed with his art as well. Yeah. And I started to track down his art and started many years ago to collect it. Um, and I think I'm, I don't know officially, I think I now have the largest Canasta art collection. I have more than 30 pieces. Wow. Um, not all of them fit on my wall, unfortunately. So I have, I think, three at the moment on my walls at home, and I rotate them. Um, but I wake up every day and I see my Canasta art on the wall and I feel inspired that I have, not like a print, but this Canasta actually physically painted these paintings and he's present in my house and I... I can feel that. Yeah, um, that makes me happy. That's cool. Yeah, he's the guy's a genius. And I, you know, I've I've done so much work in, in trying to track down. You know, there's not much footage of him, and there's you know some commentary on him. But I've tried to find people that actually knew him or met him, and have real conversations with them, and tried to learn about him as a person. Yeah, and I've you know spent time with friends of his and business colleagues of his and other magicians that spent time with him and his widow. Uh, so I, I think I have a pretty decent insight into Chan and who he was as a person outside of magic. Yeah. Uh, I love I love that. And how's he, how does the person who he is influence you? Um, in some ways, he became somebody I, I don't, I wouldn't want to be myself. Uh, so you can sometimes learn from your heroes in doing things that, let's say, you wouldn't want to do. And, um, unfortunately, by the end of his life, he was quite poor. He lives in a very small apartment in London. Um, he was a very high society man, so he was his circle of friends were very rich people, and they kind of maintained him. So they uh, he would spend his days in the casino because the casino paid him essentially to be there. They send him a car in the morning to pick him up in his little apartment, take him to the casino. He'd hang out there and socialize because it was good for the casino to have celebrity there. Yeah. And then he would paint, um, and he didn't really have a lot of money, so he would mix glue with his paints to give the paint more volume. And he would buy picture frames. There were old picture frames already, and make the pic the painting to match the picture frame as opposed to the picture frame to match the painting because he couldn't afford the picture frames. So you see that a lot of his later work, kind of this, you know, textured art. Um, and he was somewhat of a loner, you know. 
he would sell one piece of art a month or two pieces a month to his rich friends who I don't know if they necessarily appreciated the art but they wanted to kind of help support him yeah um, so yeah it's and his art's kind of all over the place I think it's it's beautiful art you can see you know I have art ranging from the 70s through the 90s actually uh, and you can see how his style has changed and you can see some similarities but I don't know I, I uh I think he was he was a very opinionated man, and I think he um, either liked you or he really didn't like you. I don't know if I necessarily want to be that when I'm older. Yeah, you know. Uh, but the guy was a genius. He understood people. So, yeah, fascinating guy. Yeah. I think it's important to have your heroes, but to understand them as people, not necessarily just as heroes. Yeah. Yeah. We're all people. <laughs> we all put our pants one leg on at a time, right? So That's it's right. like, uh, and everyone has their faults. Yeah. But he's he's an amazing guy. You know, his, his thinking and magic change change mentals and magic forever. Yeah. I think. Who are your heroes? Uh, Ricky Smith. <laughs> awesome. Just because he's a legend. Ricky Smith is um, the legend. He's the legend. Uh, you know that's a. I've never been asked that, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know that I have an answer. I'm wow. still very young. How old are you? 24. You have time. Yeah. Um, like, I say Ricky partly as a joke, but honestly, like, he's one of the biggest Ricky influences on me. He's amazing. Yeah. I've spent so much time with Ricky, and he is so creative, and he has amazing hands. Uh, and he is an encyclopedia of magic. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really happy he's out. You know, he performs every week now here in New York. So I'm, I'm really happy he's doing that because it would be a waste if he wasn't. You know? know. Yeah. Uh, and he's undeniably Ricky. Like there's no other Ricky. And I think that's amazing. Right. He. No one can no one can copy Ricky. No, right? he is he is unique. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think it's, that's that's really important. You know, like people see like the latest tricks that come out, Fear Eleven or Illusionist or whatever. Everyone's doing the same thing. And it's like, well, that's not a, that's not what's important, right? It's, yeah, it's being you. And you know, sometimes that's hard to figure out. I think it's a constant challenge, and I think everyone you know changes and evolves with life. Yeah. But, uh, how can you have a genuine interaction with a character, right? Like, I think you have to be yourself. You can be an amplified version of yourself. Yeah. But for me, my style of magic, I think people have to meet me and, like, get that genuine response and interaction. And, yeah. You know, genuine. We've talked about all these words, you know? <laughs> Being uh, custodians of magic. Yeah. It's all important yeah. things. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who my heroes are. I don't. I don't know that I have any magic heroes other than Ricky. Uh, I have people that I look up to, but I don't know that there's anyone that I would. That's great. Like a so, like, like who? Uh, like I love Chad Long. He's okay. Like a, but he, but he's a magic hero. Yeah, he's. But I don't know that he's like a hero to me. He's one of my favorite people. Right. Dear friends. Chad's amazing. Yeah. He's and a, there's, he's there's a no other Chad, right? Exactly. There's no, no other Chad. David Williamson. Yeah. No other David Williamson. Weber, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, these guys are all like pillars of, of magic inspiration. Right. I don't know that I have like a, a hero. There's not... I haven't 
found something in magic that resonates with me so deeply and personally that I go, that's my hero. That's good. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. Um, no, I'm saying it's good because it should resonate with, with you as being that's me. It should be, you know, you should appreciate the thinking. Or I mean, I don't know. This is my approach. My hero. Yeah. My, I like how they think. I don't want to be a Tamaris. I don't want to be a. No, of course not. Right. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and that's I what I mean. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. All the details and like how how he breaks down a piece of magic and the structure and how to make you know Tamaris can take a really terrible piece of magic. And still get reactions and make it play for like a theater full of people, right? Like yeah. Ball and vase. He could probably destroy a room with that. Oh yeah. To, right. Like he understands it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if I have heroes outside of magic, I you know, lots of people I respect their thinking. Uh, you know, I try and read a lot of people as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, the I could name a ton of people who. Respect their thinking and their approach, and like the way that they the way that they look at magic, or the way that they perform magic, or both, or you know. And I'm in a I'm fortunately in a position where like I get to interact with a lot of different kinds of magicians, right? And that's very cool. Um, but I think the closest thing to I have is like a personal hero is actually comedian Pete Holmes. Oh, amazing! Yeah, amazing. Yeah, like. That that resonates with me on a very deep person at the point where I'm like, oh yeah, that's like hero type figure. You know? His yes. comedy and also just him as a person is like that. So I like that. You know, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like other influences outside of magic for me as well. So very generic name, and I only grew a recent a recent appreciation for this guy, but Casey Neistat. Yeah. So I think Casey and I said it's a genius. And unfortunately, I don't know him. You know, it's funny. I, I've been following Casey for years before he was Casey that everyone knows now. Yeah. You know, I was following Casey when he was making these short films about the Apple uh, iPod battery issue and uh, videos of him racing his bike through the Holland Tunnel. So these were all kind of like these small films that were like, you know, did get the millions of views. I'm sure they have millions of views now because he's Casey. But, yeah. And, and I have... I don't know, maybe 14 or 15 mutual friends with Casey, and Casey's office is down the street from David Blaine. Like, I used to see Casey's bike parked outside, but somehow I never, like, took the time to try and meet him in person. Yeah. But now, uh, you know, I see how he's grown, and I see how he challenges himself, like, doing that vlog and everything else, and how he challenged himself, and um, his honesty with his spectator, or his audience. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's, I think, a lot to be learned from him. And I, even the fact that he stopped the vlog because it became formulaic and stopped challenging him, I think that's great. It's like, you know, I know there's other motives behind it, like selling to CNN and things like that. Sure. But, but I think there's a lot to be learned about his approach to cultivating an audience and a persona and and that honesty of, like, that, that's who he is. That vlog was, was him and an insight into his life and his, you know, what brands he likes and opening the you know his boxes in front of the camera and explaining things oh, he's great he's amazing yeah you know? um, I wish I'd, I'd uh, watched more of the vlog because I don't spend a lot of time doing that stuff but. yeah you know, not necessarily a hero but somebody I definitely have a lot of respect for yeah very cool
this has been great. We've done about two hours. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, we usually end with the guests talking about the hardest time they were ever fooled. Or like a really hard time. It doesn't have to be the hardest, but like a memory of being just... Like okay, so years ago... Got punch fooled. Years ago, I spent a significant amount of time with Homer Lee Wag. <laughs> I love Homer so much. Homer's amazing. So I remember going out to... Like, I brought Homer to some parties in New York. And Homer continuously fooled the shit out of me. <laughs> his coin stuff. But in particular, the most beautiful piece of magic I saw for years, and it fooled me, was his shadow coins. Now, it's not his, but the way he performed shadow coins yeah. was... Unbelievable. So, you know, it's one of those early memories of magic that I saw that really resonated with me because, it, you know, just it was so beautiful. Uh, so Homer fooled me many, many times. But, you know, also that guy Guido I, I told you about mm-hmm. in Tramp in London fooled me. Um, it's hard to pick out. But I think those, those are the, the couple that really stand out. Yeah. Uh, I get fooled all the time by uh, bad TV magic. <laughs> Does that count? I don't know how they did it, but uh, yeah, not I don't knowing, really care because exactly. it wasn't good magic to begin with. Exactly. Not uh, knowing how a method works is different than like, right. being completely... Tamarie's fooled me with something really badly at dinner once. God, I, and, and it was funny because I thought about this experience the other day. It was essentially... And he's such a genius because I don't even remember exactly what the effect was. But if I had to reconstruct it because it was essentially like any named card could be anywhere I wanted, right? Yeah. So we were at dinner at a restaurant in London above the Hippodrome Casino. Big group of us. And again, I don't remember all the exact details, but if I were to recollect exactly kind of what happened, someone named a card and then they, he gave him like a lot of options as to where it could be and then they said in his pocket and then underneath his V-neck <laughs> sweater in his top shirt pocket was the name card and it was literally like and but it wasn't just that it was the way he set it up right mm-hmm. oh it was amazing it was some it was he had this amazing setup to it i remember <laughs> you know it's so funny this is the second time i've heard that story from oh this he's question. amazing he's amazing is, oh, it, is the card ending up inside his sweater in his top pocket? oh it was amazing it's just, yeah and then the other here's another one I was at a convention with a bunch of people. I think it was a, uh, a Magic Live, maybe second Magic Live. Yeah. And Weber and Williamson and R. Paul Wilson. I'd heard about this effect, and I think I, I think I was when it brought it up. I asked Weber about, or maybe Williamson about, the trick where he vanishes from a, a bathroom. You heard of this? No. So I'd heard a rumor about this trick, so I asked Williamson about it, or maybe Weber, I forget who I asked. We're all in a group. Yeah. And I said, oh, we'll do it for you. So end up being a large group of us. It grew into this big group. End up lining up outside this bathroom in a hotel, completely improvised. Like, there was no setup, because I literally asked to see, you know, I heard about this effect, and they were like, oh, we'll show it to you. And we all took, you know, stood in a line. At one at a time, we walked into the bathroom to experience Williamson, who had just walked in the bathroom. But anyway, he walked in. We all went in one at a time and then came out. We weren't allowed to talk to each other afterwards. It's kind of this, you know, interesting setup. Yeah. Anyway, when I walked into the bathroom, Williamson was just fucking dog, right? 
Nowhere to be seen. Okay. Checked all the stalls. He's just not there. And he's a big guy, right? He's not. He, it's not know. easy to hide him. <laughs> yeah. So I was very fooled. Yeah. I was very fooled. And then it took me about 20 minutes. And I reconstructed exactly what happened. And then I figured it out. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think John Lovick wrote a piece about it, Genie. Yeah. And he, John, Lovick inter- interviewed, John Lovick interviewed me about it. Um, yeah. That fooled me really well. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's imp- it's completely improvised, you know. And and they didn't invent the effect. Apparently it has this crazy history, and I don't remember the names, unfortunately. I, I, I did do a lot of research on it afterwards, after I had this discussion with Weber about it. And I wish I remember the names, but essentially... Uh, it used to be done, I think, I don't know, 50s, 60s, something like that. Guy would go into a hotel bathroom. It was in like a room, I think, in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. We did it in a lobby, but it was in a hotel room. Yeah. And his friend would stand outside, and then he'd let people in one at a time, and they'd examine the bathroom, and the guy was gone, right? But I think what was really happening was the guy that was vanishing ended up he was sleeping with the other guy's wife. So while he was vanished, he was actually sleeping with the... With the <laughs> so, so it has like a pretty terrible history. That's amazing. But, but I think that's the real history. Coming what, up with the magic tricks so that you could sleep with a different person. <laughs> yeah. Because they're all in the same hotel. Anyway. Yeah. I was fooled very badly by that for a good 20 minutes. And I, then I was able to reconstruct it. Uh, only because I, I know... I know Weber well and how he thinks... And it's genius. It's such a great, great piece of magic. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that that's my official answer. <laughs> Tamari is in that. That's there's two. That's pretty awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doug. I really appreciate it. This is great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So shoot me an email at podcast at artofmagic.com or send me a message on the Magical Thinking Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by sharing it on social media and letting others know why you loved it. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.